I'd like to welcome today's guest, Point of Rental Senior Vice President of Global Technology, Evan Fort. Evan, welcome to the front porch. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Good. Welcome to the front porch with Brian Beaudry. Okay, we want to start with the basics. So who are you, even though we know your name is Evan Fort? Where are you from? And well, what do you do? You have a really kind of expansive title. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so who am I? Uh, Evan Fort. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and uh, that's actually where I, I started working uh, during college, and I went to school up here. So um, after, after a couple of internships and whatnot in Houston, moved up to Dallas and have been working here full-time. My entire career has been in SaaS uh, cloud-based software, okay. and um, excited to keep up with uh, all of the changes that are happening in that, which seems every day something new. So, so that's good. why you're the the senior vice president of global technology. Yeah, you have to know about all technology throughout the globe. Yeah. Um, so the reason why it's technology is because I own um, I, I own the the development team as well as the QA team and the operations. We call them technical operations. But basically the people who do all of the hosting and keep the systems up and running and uh, reliable and, and fast. Um, so there's a bunch of different teams. Um, technology is just a general word to mean all of those things. Um, so ultimately my team is responsible for delivering um, everything to the actual <laughs> customer that uses it. And so uh, we write the software, we do the hosting, we manage the quality, and then we work with the rest of the organization to do all of the other pieces that are required to create for a good customer experience. Okay. I can see why it would be just global technology. It seems like a real pain to list out every single thing. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad we simplified it a little bit. All right. Now we're going to jump back into your past. So what did you want to be when you were a kid whenever you remember having like your first answer for, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, absolutely. So I was given a manila folder in second grade and told to draw my life. And I still have this manila folder. I, I'd have to go find it. But um, ultimately, the goal was for me to become a doctor because at the point, that point in time, um, you know, we, we only know so many careers. Yeah. And uh, so I was going to become a, a doctor. In middle school, um, kind of dating myself a little bit here, the internet became a real thing that people used reliably from home. AOL added the internet button, I think in 1996. And that's when I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I, uh, I absolutely moved as quickly as possible to get a career in uh, making, making websites at the time, but uh, definitely quickly moved into making web software uh, as my, my first, my first uh, real job. Okay, so there was so as soon as you saw the internet, you were just like, "Nope, no more, no more med school in my future, no more medicine." There wasn't yeah. uh, a traumatic experience with a bunch of blood because <laughs> sometimes that happens with some of the people. To be fair, I think I would make a terrible doctor because I absolutely do have a fear of blood, and uh, yeah, it would have been a bad, it would have been a bad choice. All right, well, I'm I'm glad you found found the internet. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. So, what are your some what are some of your career highlights as far as what you've done? Uh, actually, what, what did you first do out of, out of school? Sure. So my, uh, my first internship in, in college was working on the 
a performance management system for a uh, Fortune 100 oil company. Okay. Uh, I think we call them energy companies now. Um, and so I was writing ASP Classic applications uh, running on a local local network uh, that we used to do performance ranking and management and deal with uh, salaries and pay increases across the entire organization. That was a great internship. I learned a ton. I learned about working at a Fortune 100 company, but also how to really develop software and do it correctly. And, um, and then I've taken that forward in my career. So I went from there, parlayed that into another company doing performance management and uh, HR systems. So I was there for um, 10 years and uh, did a bunch of different work across uh, all of the different disciplines that we managed. Um, it was a suite of tools. So we managed a bunch of different products kind of all under one umbrella and um, was there for 10 years, Became eventually became the CTO of that company and uh, eventually decided I, I wanted to move on and do something different. And uh, the retail space was really exciting to me and rental and rental and retail are tied very closely together. Yeah. And so I found point of rental and uh, came Gosh, here. Whoa, 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 calm down. We got, okay. we got a next question. We're going to get to, we're okay. going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. First, first I want to know, like, so you were just straight into technology immediately. You didn't, you never had any like, you know, service jobs. Like I was work, working at McDonald's. That was my first job. Uh, you didn't, you didn't have any of those. Oh, well, my very first job, um, I was babysitting, <laughs> but my, my second job is it was in it. So I worked for the local school district and, okay. um, at the time, you know, with absolutely no experience and being, um, you know, young and able to carry things, did a whole lot of like moving computers around doing preventative maintenance, but also some it work too. So fixing windows machines and dealing with, uh, this was, of course, Tolkien Ring Networks and okay. Dot Matrix printers back then, but um, still very uh, – it was it was a great eye-opening experience to an entire world that existed. So were you the one that the teachers would, like, call into and you would uh, – whenever they couldn't log in or couldn't handle whatever they were about to present and you would come in and you would fix it for them? Well, you have to remember when I was in school, nobody logged into anything, so <laughs> – All right, well <laughs> – you know, I, I just I just want to picture you coming, being called by a teacher, and you have to come into class, and there's all these students just like waiting for you to figure whatever. <laughs> yeah. Out. Well, mostly I worked um, during breaks, so oh, we would okay. go do these big projects. They would build a new school, and they need to populate all the computer labs. I get called in, and my team, me and my group of people, would go set them all up and do all of the all of the Windows imaging and things like that. So. Okay. Yeah, we actually didn't get real Ethernet networks until um, my last year. So before then, it was all, uh, you know, everything just kind of ran on the computer. And if you wanted to update something, it meant getting a floppy disk or a CD-ROM and walking around the room. So mm. so once the Ethernet hit, you were like, all right, that's that's enough of this. Time to move on. To <laughs> time to, well, that's when the Internet was real, too. So it was like, oh, there's opportunity here. So. Okay. All right, so you, you've already kind of said that you found Point of Rental. It wasn't a case where Point of Rental found you? Um, it's a little bit of both. So I had expressed interest in finding something in a different industry to um, to a couple of recruiters, and that one of those recruiters were working with Point of Rental. And so they made the introduction, and, um, and that's how it all got started. Okay, so... Um I know we've talked to Robert Flock uh, a while ago. He mentioned, I think that you were just in charge of building that first essentials team. But 
talk talk me through kind of that process and what went into your mind as far as building a team here. Yeah, absolutely. So Wayne had a visionary moment that the world of um, of rental was going to be going towards the cloud. He had that um, ten years ago, which it turns out he's completely right. Like that's what the customers are expecting, and rental has been a, a market that's been kind of slow to adopt some of the modern technologies across the board. There's always forerunners who are interested in things, but um, so we we were there at the very beginning, and we had, if not the very first purely cloud-based rental management system, one of the the early ones in our space. And so, yeah, I was I was hired to build a team and create a, a separate product um, that was going to be cloud-first and available to to a different kind of customer that Point of Rental used to sell to. So, obviously, the expert and elite products are still um, have the 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 largest feature set and the ability to run an entire rental business. But there's this other group of customers that need something different. And uh, Essentials is designed to fill that space. Yeah. So it's more of a case of like, look, I don't need all the bells and whistles, just just some bells and some whistles. Right, exactly. Of course, everybody needs different bells and different whistles. So you, yeah. you end up eventually <laughs> um, developing everything, but it takes time. So yeah. Okay. So, so what are you looking for when you're when you're building that team because obviously you're coming into a position that has never existed you're building an entirely new product i i don't imagine that you already knew everyone that you were going to bring onto the team how, how did that go right exactly so the good news about coming from the recruiting space is uh, i already had access to a lot of tools and knew a lot of people and the ways to find team members um i brought robert with me actually robert and i've known each other for I think t- almost 20 years now. Oh, so you did know some of them. I did know some of my team, yeah. And I knew that Robert and I were a good yin and yang for each other. We have different strengths and different weaknesses, and we fill in for each other. So I think that works well. And then filling out the rest of that team just involved a lot of interviews and finding the right people who were excited about the challenge that we had, um, finding people who we thought could really run with something new and interesting and get it done quickly. And I think we found a great team. And so it was this group of, a small group of, I think, five people originally. Um, some of them are still here uh, in different different positions. And, you know, some have moved on and done their own thing, took that and, and found something else they wanted to do. And so that uh, that worked out great. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I know we have at least at least three of you guys still here. Yeah. I'm not sure if I know who the whole five are. <laughs> okay, so w- what have been some of the challenges from growing to – Going from overseeing a small team, obviously you had you know your handful of people, to now you're again global technology, a large large group of people. What are some of the challenges in moving up that management level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we could do a, a twenty hour um, Let's not. TED talk about this, but um, I, I was lucky that in my previous position, I I already had some of that experience. So working as the CTO of a large software company, um, I kind of knew what to expect. Granted, <clears throat> the world changes. And so yeah. the expectations of software developers and software as a whole has changed over the years and continues to change. So it's all about adapting, learning, doing things differently, doing things that fit the particular team and the particular type of, of situation that we have. Um, the, the further you get away from the actual customer sometimes 
the the harder it is to understand their perspective. And so I definitely know that it's important to stay engaged with customers and also to stay engaged with the technical aspects of the team. So I don't want to be a VP that doesn't doesn't innately and intimately understand the way that our technology is put together. So I, I still have a, a, a deep knowledge of that and trying to stay connected with what is happening day to day in the dev teams, but also understanding the rental market as a whole, because while I am not by myself responsible for deciding everything that goes into the product, we have entire teams that, that manage those things. Understanding our space and how it's changing, what's changing in rental, allows me and my team to stay ahead of what those demands are going to be. So looking out at rental companies and understanding how they work, understanding the transitions that they're all making right now um, into the web, into mobile devices and and whatnot um, is going to be a big part of the future for, for rental. And those expectations are, are starting to become more and more common. So we have to stay ahead of that and deliver the kinds of things that people want to accomplish their, their jobs, you know, yeah. actually support their customers every day. For sure. Okay, what, what's your favorite part about your current role? My favorite part about my current role is the team that I work with. Um, I, I think that I, we've put together a great team. There's been a lot of people um, who have come from a lot of different places with great different skill sets. And um, we've developed a lot of really great teams that work well together. They, we underst- everybody understands their strengths and how they can work together to benefit the product. And um, putting those, those teams together and working collaboratively across team to actually solve customers' problems and get things done. Uh, I, I absolutely love that part of my job. And um, I... I try to lean into it as much as I can to get people to, to kind of understand the bigger picture of, of what it is we're trying to, to do for, for our customers. For sure. Okay, so, I mean, you had this, you had this job at the school district, and, and you left like a year after, after you got Ethernet. And you mm-hmm. had this job as a CTO. It seems like you left shortly after that. What, you're not going to leave us like soon, are you, now that you're, you're the senior vice president of global technology? Yeah, it's You're not going to be like, mm, time to go to another industry, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I have that cycle. It's every 10 years I get a new job, right? Yeah, so. and, and we just hit your t- 10, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe you should watch out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's going great, and there's a lot of opportunity and headroom here at Point of Rental. This is still a very interesting industry. I'm excited about the changes in rental and the direction that the rental industry as a whole is moving is going, as well as Point of Rental. I think we have a ton of opportunity and cool stuff that we can do. And I'm still really excited about it. Good. We're still challenging. That's what. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm ever not challenged for uh, three hours. I'll come by and let you know. But so far, it hasn't happened. Okay. Uh, You kind of got started getting into this a little bit. But uh, what should point of rental users or really anyone using rental software understand about what it's like to develop a lot of the, the software features that people ask for? I know I think of a lot of great ideas for software. And Obviously, when I'm coming up with the idea, it's like, oh, this should be super easy because we have something kind of similar or a couple of pieces. Uh, what's something that someone who maybe has that mindset should know about the challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, software development is uh, it, it's it's a little bit different than building a bridge. You know, sometimes people make the analogy that if you if you can build a bridge, you know, you kind of understand the project and how to put it together. 
and then at the end you have a bridge. And software development is a little bit different because um, it's almost as if one day you're going to build a bridge, and then the next day you're going to build a building, and then the next day you're going to build a, um, you know, a, a shopping mall or something. So it's while all of the building blocks of development are the same, and we we have a good understanding of those things, creating a new and useful experience for the customer that makes that's um, easy to understand and flows the right way. That's that's where the magic is, and it's it's relatively easy to add an individual, you know, add a field, a field on a form or something like that. It's not hard. Um, what is hard is doing it in a way that people just innately understand when they get they land on that page and they go, oh yeah, I understand what I'm trying to do here, and the entire experience of interacting with this application makes sense to me, and it flows from point A to point B, and um, that's where all of the that's where a lot of the time and energy comes in. So when somebody brings us a, a new idea, we get great ideas all the time. We have the U Innovate platform that allows us to solicit ideas from customers and internal people and uh, people vote them up and we spend we have an entire team who spends a good portion of their life in that tool planning out future programs and and things like that and a lot of those ideas are great Um, we source actually the vast majority of our ideas from there so um, we get a lot of good input from our customers the, the challenge is often looking at, okay, this one customer has this one problem because of the way that they operate their business. How do we solve it? And then stepping back and thinking, how do we solve that in a generic way that it benefits more than just that one customer? Because um, the last thing we want is a bunch of special functionality written just for one customer that doesn't work for anybody else. So the genericizing of that, making it configurable, making it um, as we call it, discoverable, and that somebody can just discover it whenever they need it, um, is is the that's where the magic lies, and that's what makes it harder. Yeah, I was just starting to think about some of the things that that we develop even in marketing, where you have that challenge of sometimes you have too much knowledge. So, like, hey, I've done this process this way. I want to add a thing. It's like, okay, well, it makes sense if you already have all this previous knowledge and this is how you already do this. But it wouldn't make sense to someone who hasn't used the software before and doesn't use it that way. So, yeah, I can see why. Uh, yeah, and, and we have a very unique challenge because Point of Rental has been around for 40 years. And we have customers that have been on the expert platform for 30 years. And so they have a, a certain innate knowledge of how they operate and how the business operates. and um, it's really easy to just go make a small change to expert and everybody just kind of knows how it works because they have that background. But when you take a brand new customer who's never seen expert before and put it on it, you have to make sure that that process is also easy and makes sense. And so designing for that is the challenge. You got to design for the the expert, but also design for the person who is new to it and trying to discover how it works. Okay. All right. Now we, now before we get into your non-professional life, we're going to play a game. Okay. Okay. The game is called Fort or Fort No. If you agree with the statement or it's true, say Fort. And if you disagree with it or if it's not true, say Fort No. And then I need a reason. I'm sorry for turning your last name into a uh, a substitute for a swear word, but okay. Well, it is <laughs> it is a four letter F word, so yeah. All right. So Fort or Fort No. You've hidden snacks so that no one else will find them, and you can eat them later. 
Uh, Fort. Yeah, absolutely. Are you allowed to tell us any of these hiding places, or are there some that have maybe maybe you don't use them anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, the nice thing about having an office is I have 600 drawers in there, and uh, you, it would take you a good three minutes probably just to <laughs> go dig for them. Okay, yeah, and you do look suspicious rifling through 600 drawers if you're if you don't know where they already are. Okay. <laughs> uh, fort or Fort No? If you could find out how you were going to die, you would want to know. Fort No. Okay. Would you like to know when you're going to die? Fort no. I'd rather not know. Okay, good. Can you imagine just having to, like, you just know that, and you're like, well, all right, I got 97 minutes left. <laughs> I was going to say, it really depends on the answer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right. Uh, fort or Fort no? You've told an outrageous lie to a child. Oh, Fort, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's one of the small joys I have in life is uh, <laughs> telling out, outrageous lies to my nieces and nephews so that they go back to their parents and ask them if it's real. Do you have a specific <laughs> example? Oh, no. I just, you know, I grew up, I had a little brother, and I, I remember one time I told some silly lie to my brother, and he goes to my mom, and he's like, ah, crying, and I can't believe Evan told me this thing. I don't even remember what the thing was. And she goes, uh, Justin, what do we always tell you? Never believe anything Evan says. I'm like, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> it was always fun to me to play, <laughs> play games with my little brother. Okay, so hopefully, since I'm not a child, you're not lying to me throughout this entire interview. It, yeah, okay. yeah, hopefully. Good. <laughs> All right, Fort or Fort No, you prefer working from home to working at the office? That's actually kind of hard. I, I'm going to say Fort No. I, I like the mix. So we, we have a hybrid approach to all the entire engineering team. And um, there are people who are in, in here every day, and there are people who are in here once a week. Um, so depending on the team and the way that they work, we structure it differently. I am in, I try to come in three days a week, and I, I do really like the time in the office. I think it, there's, it's, uh, it's a good kind of mix to be able to allow to do both. If I'm going to do a big project where I'm heads down on something all day long, I want to be home because I'm actually more productive uh, kind of with my door shut. Yeah. Um, and But if I need to interact with people and kind of talk about what we're getting done, the office is it's, – it's, it's hard to replace that with Zoom calls and, and chats. For sure. It's also kind of awkward to like be like, okay, now I need to actual, actually schedule a time instead of just popping by, hey, I need a quick answer on a thing. Exactly. Plus yeah. this way you get to be a surprise guest on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right. Fort or Fort No, you've lied about seeing a movie or having seen a movie. Sorry. Fort No. I can't imagine I've ever lied about seeing a movie. Okay. So there's never a situation where like people are talking about a movie and you, because you seem like a person who knows generally about a lot of things. And like, I know I pick up a lot of, I know a lot of about movies that I've never seen because of the internet. Cultural osmosis. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so there's yeah. no situations. No, I mean, the other day somebody was saying, well, I say the other day, eight, ten years ago. It was the uh, other day. Talking about Die Hard. I was like, yeah, I've never seen Die Hard. And then, of course, you know, you just get a whole bunch of stunned faces. Like, how could you have not seen Die Hard? Like, yeah. So I went and saw Die Hard, and it was great. I'm, I'm so happy I did. And Good. I was guilted into seeing Die Hard. I still haven't seen it either, so. Uh, well, we can, I, go, we can go after work today. All right, cool. Sounds good. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get to, actually, before we get to Evan's interesting character slash non-work questions, we do need to have, we do need to play this ad from our international conference sponsor, 
uh, Rouse Analytics. Making critical decisions about rental rates and fleet management can be risky when you rely solely on limited data and anecdotal information from your customers and sales reps. They can't help you see the complete picture and understand what is happening in the market. But we can. We're Rouse Analytics, and we use actual rental invoices and daily fleet snapshots to provide rental business managers with the most accurate benchmark data available on rental rates and utilization by product and market. Easy to set up and simple to use. Our actionable intelligence is based on nightly fleet snapshots for over 45 billion worth of equipment and 20 billion in rental revenue. Our online portal is intuitive and designed for speedy analysis. And with automated alerts and email notifications, it works for you even when you're not actively using it. The Rouse Rental mobile app allows your reps to access your entire inventory within seconds, making it a snap to let your customers know what equipment you have available. When you sign up with Rouse Analytics, we give you a 60-day free benchmark trial with access to all available subscription and benchmark reporting, including detailed local market level rate comparisons by product. Rouse Analytics, groundbreaking innovation in business intelligence. Contact us now to schedule a demo. Okay, Evan, one thing I know about you is you have an enthusiasm and a knowledge of escape rooms. One, let, let's start off with how did you discover escape rooms? Was this a result of like, you know, your parents, they seem like they were telling everyone not to trust you. So were you just a troublemaker <laughs> and they locked you in rooms occasionally or, or what happened? Oh man. Um, no, I, the truth is I have an enthusiasm for puzzles and brain teasers and, and that kind of thing. So, um, when I first discovered escape rooms, I played a company that doesn't exist anymore in Plano actually. And, um, I, I was hooked like from day one, I was like, Oh my God, you mean I can get locked in a room and like do puzzles and then get that little, that little, you know, uh, good feeling from every single puzzle that you solve. And then you get out at the end and it's exciting. And then, and then the next room I played, we didn't get out. And I was like, actually, I hate escape rooms. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, it's turned into a passion and a love and I have played hundreds of escape rooms around the world. And whenever we go somewhere now, um, we look up an escape room and we'll play, play one or two rooms and, uh, started to develop friendships with local owners and kind of get into that scene and kind of understand the, what happens behind the curtain and how people actually create these things. And, uh, that's been an absolute blast for me. And so helping friends, uh, work on electronics puzzles and interactive puzzles. Um, so I've definitely done a few of those things. So it kind of combines my love of programming and creating things with my love of problem solving. And so how could you go wrong? Yeah. So, so, at what point do you decide, hey, I'm going to start talking to the owners of these escape rooms? Because I know I, I like going to a lot of things, but I don't really think to, oh, hey, I should I should talk to the owners and find out how how they're doing this business. Well, the magic of the escape room business is that the, the sort of mom and pop escape rooms, um, it's very difficult to be massively profitable because you have to pay employees to be there to run the room. You have to pay for the air conditioning and the rent. And so if two people show up, 
they pay maybe $60, $70 to be there. You've got a, and then you've got 60 to $70 of cost. It means that if you're going to a mom and pop escape room, the owner is probably there. They're probably the person who invited, who greeted you when you walked in the door. So I think it just happens naturally. So if you show up and you show an excitement and an enthusiasm for what they're doing, um, just like anybody who loves the things they create, they will absolutely want to spend time talking to you about their creation. And so it, it happened naturally. And, uh, you know, one owner knows another owner, and then you kind of start chatting with people and learn about what the challenges are that they have in their business and their puzzles and their, um, you know, dealing with human beings and whatnot. And the fact that uh, basically escape rooms have to be designed like prison cells because uh, human beings are terrible about ripping stuff off of walls and <laughs> tearing things and stuff. So it's a unique challenge. I mean, that's where the clues would be is. Yeah. the things that you can tear down. Oh, yeah. I had, yeah, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago that they had somebody take the electrical outlets off the wall because they <laughs> they wanted, they thought maybe the clue was in there. I'm like, no, it's a live electrical outlet. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. So, so you mentioned that you also design and will create some of the props. Um, is that something that you you continue to do, or is that something that you did for a little while? Or yeah, it's a hobby. Um, so we we did form an LLC to do it because anytime you interact with the public with something that plugs into the wall, probably a good idea. Um, but it is not. It's a hobby, and we do it sometimes. Uh, I haven't done a project in probably six months at this point okay. um just because uh the right project hasn't come along um i like to do things that i that are interesting there is nothing that ruins a hobby like turning it into a job so that's fair um if if i'm on somebody else's timeline and i need to deliver something that they they want and i don't care about it like I, i'm not interested in doing that as my hobby you know if i yeah. needed it as a full-time job sure but luckily, I'm at the point where I can I have my full time job and I can pick and choose the fun hobbies and projects that interest me, and so I've I've developed some some cool stuff over the years. I'm I'm really proud of, and um, some of them are still kicking around in different places. So it's always nice to see something I made. So um, so do you go and like check in on them like like their relatives or something, and you're just like, <laughs> you know, hey, I'm I'm in this town. Let me go let me go stop by this old computer thing yet. yeah no I, I really don't i've actually gotten to the point now where i i don't even want to maintain um the long-term running of that stuff so i have a network of friends and whatnot that i can pass projects off to so when some the, the biggest challenge is some you know customer comes in and takes the thing i made and rips it off the wall and throws it on the ground and jumps on it or something <laughs> like man i just don't want to fix that stuff that's not fun so yeah um, but there are people who that is their that is their career, and that's what they want to do. So I'm happy to let them do it. Their career is pulling stuff out of walls <laughs> well, and stomping off. You know, actually, it's like it's the the tire shop that throws nails in front of the building. You know, yeah, maybe there's something to that. And I was like, <laughs> but no, I don't think so. Okay, I've given you literally no preparation. For, well, there's been a little bit of preparation. You're already thinking about escape rooms. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a top five list of of the best escape rooms to go to, or? Maybe if you don't have that specific, do you have like a, a top five cities to go for escape rooms? Yeah, I can do both. Um, Let's just go with the first one. <laughs> okay. Too many top five lists. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number one, Evan's number one in the world is uh, Strange Bird in Houston, Texas, okay. which is a uh, an experience unlike anything else. There's live actors. 
they're sort of set in three acts. You have the opening act, which is a Houdini seance. And then you have um, the actual escape room component where you're solving the puzzles and trying to help Houdini and whatever. And then you have the closing act, which is different actors doing different things. Okay, I was um, going to say, don't spoil it too much. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Everyone needs to experience that. Uh, it's a great thing. Okay, and, I, I, uh, was, I was concerned that since you said Houston, it seemed like a, a bit of a homer pick there. Since oh, no. From Houston. Yeah, no, no. It's, uh, but it sounds like quite a thing. Yeah, it is quite a thing. It's amazing. By the way, I mean, we've already kind of ruined it, but normally with, when you have a top five list, you'll start at number five because you, you want to build up people's like, okay. oh, five. Number the problem one, is I don't keep a top five list in my brain, so oh, I'm well. making it up as we go. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we're going to go to number two because I don't know what number yep. five would All right. be. Let's let's just go that way. All right. Number two is going to be uh, Cutthroat Cavern in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. So um, there's a company that owns haunted houses. Ooh. And um, in the off season, they run escape rooms. And so they take their haunted house building skills and they turn it into escape rooms. And so you've got these massive expansive um interactive warehouses full of stuff so cutthroat cavern i forget what it is i think it's like six thousand square feet it has a beach it has water it has a pirate ship it has animatronic animals it has all kinds of stuff yeah. so it's a fun experience everybody would enjoy it i like that you say in the off season for haunted houses yeah <laughs> like the haunted house season is like really long and it's like you know during the couple months where people aren't going to haunted houses <laughs> yeah exactly i guess we'll make an escape room it, it's a smart move on their part i think you know they and the nice thing is they can actually keep their staff on full time a lot of haunted houses yeah. kind of lose their entire staff uh at the end of the season and then have to go hire all new people and yeah. it becomes difficult and I guess Baton Rouge maybe maybe is a market where there's cheaper real estate. I don't know, but uh, it works well for them. Sounds good. I, I like the idea of a beach in it in an escape room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm, stagnant water. Um, and then for number three, we're gonna go to like a, a horror pick. Okay. I'm gonna go with Zoe in L.A. Okay. Where you uh, you get dropped off in a back scary back alley, and then you come in, and there's you know, doll heads everywhere. And then they've got actors chasing you with chainsaws without the blades on them. And um, yeah, you, it's, you assume that they're without the blades. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, in the rental industry, whenever you rent a chainsaw, you should get a new blade. So, um, or at least a sharpened blade, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a great experience. And um, you know, the puzzles are, it's, it's not about the puzzles. It's about, it's a haunted house where you have to solve some clues, basically. So okay. it's a lot of fun. Uh, not for the faint of heart, potentially. Okay. <laughs> Man, I don't know where to go. I think if you started off with saying horror, then horror. you should probably be like, mm, yeah, if, if you're going to be scared of stuff, probably don't go to that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe if you are, it'll make it even better. You it's know? true. There's yeah, nothing, I mean, nothing like going to a haunted house with somebody who is actually afraid. Yeah, we go to a haunted house with one of my friends, and he's like, "Yeah, I know this is stupid." I'm like, "Well, you're no fun." <laughs> yeah. We could go walk through a, you know, a, a shopping mall with you; it'd be the same. It's <laughs> fair. Yeah, we don't we don't have to go to five if, okay. if you don't want to. You you got a top three. That's all right. That's, that's good enough. Place. Since we already didn't go in five five four three two one order. Okay, I could give you like number twenty maybe. Okay, <laughs> now go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> What's your twentieth favorite? Um, okay, let's go. Let's move on to our next topic, uh, hackathon. Yeah. So we recently got through a hackathon. What, what is a hackathon? 
Yeah, so um, every year Point of Rental does a hackathon, which is where we give the developers free reign to do anything that, that they want to, that they think would, uh, that they're excited about or that they think would have value. Um, we don't limit them to just a certain list of things to do. Uh, we don't even limit them that it has to be in, in relationship to a product that we already have. Um, it's just go for it and do something cool that's interesting. And the first two had an amazing result and a lot of stuff and work that was done in those first two hackathons actually ended up in the products. And this third hackathon looks like it's going to be the same. So um, lots of really neat stuff. Some of it is uh, absolute, you know, pie in the sky. Yeah, I did the basics, but there's 700 more hours of work to finish it. But yeah. that's still great. It's useful to kind of see and experience what something could be like. Um, of course, as everyone is aware, over the last year, ChatGPT has become a big thing. Yeah. And everybody is thinking about how it could improve their their software. And we're... We are the same, so we've already been playing around a little bit with ChatGPT and some of our tools, but the hackathon had an explosion of ChatGPT content, and um, hopefully some of this stuff will end up in the in the products and make people's lives a little bit easier and do the kinds of stuff that, you know, take a lot of energy from human beings, like um, <laughs> writing uh, descriptions of... I was going to say, quit trying to take my job of, when you say writing. I don't like <laughs> writing. <laughs> no. But like you know, what is the uh, what is the horsepower of a certain John Deere skid steer? Well, ChatGPT yeah. knows that. So. Yeah, that's that's not real fun writing. So yeah, go ahead and replace that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ChatGPT, that reminds me, our our webinar coming up in August is going to be about ChatGPT and how it's supposed to help uh, rental businesses. So hey. Yeah, I'm I'm actually already at the point now where I get emails and I can like that's eh, probably written by ChatGPT. I don't know, maybe maybe not. I have met you. So. You can't, you don't write like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so as direct or yeah, your your nameplate on your office says director of global technology, but yeah. So I, I'm not exactly sure which, but at your current level, are you still participating like directly in the hackathon, or are you just kind of like supporting it and supervising? I don't know if there's really super supervision. It didn't seem like there was supervision yeah. when I it, it's you know, the opposite of supervision. It's like uh I we provided food and uh and prizes and fun. You know, we have like a patch every year that yeah. people can put on a jacket and we have stickers that I can see on the back of your laptop. Oh yeah. And uh so it's a whole thing. Yeah. So I I there's not much supervision. I did do my own hackathon project though, which was primarily around internal knowledge management at the company. Okay. So kind of blending all of our different places that we put information about um, how the products work, how the company works. Um, and so there will be more information about that soon once I am completely done and like ready to pull the velvet cloth off of it and and kind of get everybody excited about knowledge management, which is not something that people are often excited <laughs> about. But um, but I think it's going to be a, a, a cornerstone of of continuing to grow. So Cool. Well, if you need help internal marketing, uh, just reach out to me. Yeah, we will do. Or, or just have ChatGPT do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, a while ago, I asked all of the leadership team for their, for an irrational fear, and, and you listed flying. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I've noticed talking to a bunch of developers, a lot of them seem to be pilots. Uh, why are you opposite of everyone else? What What did you do wrong? <laughs> what did I do wrong? I, you know what I I'll tell you what I did wrong. I got food poisoning on a flight one time, mm. and 
that was it, man. Like it took me two years. I, I still fly. Like I, yeah, I fly all the time. I was going to say, I, I also know you travel a lot. Yeah. So how does this work? <laughs> and in those two years I flew, you know, so yeah. it was all about learning coping mechanisms and dealing with those things. Um, I'll, I'll spare you, spare you the gory details of what it's like to have food poisoning on a flight. Um, but yeah, it, it just sort of changes your brain chemistry. So I'm over it completely now, really. Like I don't have any of that fear anymore. I was able to work through it. So, well, perfect. I think it's good. Good. Then it won't ruin my, my question in the five important questions about your greatest fear. So, okay. So that, that's good. Uh, what's something that if I knew more about you, I would have definitely asked about because the people need to know it about you. Oh, wow. Andrew gave me a bunch of cool subjects, but, uh. I don't know which ones were going to be fruitful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm a big maker of things. I love, I love making things. I love solving problems. So, um, a lot of my hobbies revolve around making things and solving problems. So, um, you know, I've done furniture making, I've, I've made uh, miscellaneous things around my house. When you say, people, wait, so. when you say furniture making, what kind of furniture are we talking about here? At the, at the moment, it is mostly small furniture. So I have a wood shop in my garage, actually. Oh. And um, I've made, like, end tables and uh, other little little furniture pieces. Um, I made my dining room table at one point. That was my very first woodworking project. It was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and uh, I'm surprised my wife and I are still married after that project. But since then, I learned a lot, and we learned a lot. And so that's one of the things we do together, actually, is we'll go make make little wooden projects and furniture pieces. I was going to say, and that's why you make small furniture now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's there's something about trying to build your dining room table in your dining room without any of the proper equipment that helps you learn that actually having the proper equipment probably is the way to go. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm in a fairly similar situation at, at my house. It's like, I, I kind of like making stuff with wood. I kind of remember shop class and my house. Yeah. We don't have any of the equipment and it's like, no, I'm, I just can't do anything. Yeah. And the other trick is to uh, convince your entire family that you don't really need cars in the garage. Like, you can just have a wood shop in your garage. It's true. And the cars will be okay. <laughs> so that was step one. <laughs> okay. This this is a wood shop garage now. So you build furniture and you do electronics. Have you ever integrated the two into like a really, I don't know, I can't even imagine what it would be integrated into. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's... That's part of the fun. I, I've been working on a, uh, a design in the back of my head for a, a kind of like hidden puzzle desk. So it's actually interesting. Back in the, I think it's the 18th century, this was pretty common. So they would build these desks and then have hidden compartments in them so that people could hide hide different things that they wanted to. Yeah, I and, love a good uh, hidden compartment. I, I would love to take that and combine it with electronics to do things like have uh, an RFID or or some sort of way to access the hidden components of the desk. And it just looks like an ornate desk, but as you get closer into it, you realize that there's something else going on there. Um, so I've never actually built it, but it sure does sound fun. So, Oh, now I remember another thing that he had mentioned is you used to have a secret room in your old house. Yeah. Is that something that you built or did it like come with a secret room oh no we built it um we actually converted a closet 
Okay. Um, but seems, yeah, seems like a sane way of doing things instead of <laughs> yeah, rather than building the actual room out. Yeah. We are working on where we're going to put the secret room in the new house because you know why not? Doesn't that I, sound like fun? Like everyone should have a secret room. It, exactly. Whenever <laughs> I'm looking at real estate listings, it's like mm, no secret room. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when we sold it, the couple who ended up buying the old house, I don't think they even cared about the secret room, which made me <laughs> sad and want to not sell it to them. <laughs> I, I just hope they didn't tear it out. Because um, yeah. there was a lot of time and energy put into sort of building the wall, um, the facade of the wall to make it completely hidden and integrated. Yeah. Um, and then we did like an electronic latch so you could trigger it and then the wall would just kind of fall out. And then nice. Pretty neat. So yeah, we're, we're still working on version number two. Okay. Well, l let me know. We'll, we'll have to do a little, little tour, video okay. tour of Evan's secret room. <laughs> sure. <laughs> then it won't be secret. That's, that's fair. Then you'll have to build another one. Uh, all right. What's what's something people misunderstand about you? Um, I don't know. I, I try to be an open book. So um, I want people to feel to feel like they can be comfortable um, and that, you know, I'm trying to – we're all trying to solve problems together. And um, that's, you know, that's part of being a technology leader is um, – getting people comfortable with the idea that they can share, they can share their, the challenges that they have. They can share where they're roadblocked. They can share when they've made a mistake and that we're all going to work together to solve it. And so I don't feel like there's a ton of misunderstandings about me because yeah. I really do try to do that. Um, because there's nothing worse than having a technology team that feels like they have to hide stuff from people because they don't understand what, what the perspective is. But that's a great question to ask somebody else. Like, what what do you think? You know, well, I was thinking like you you seem generally affable, approachable, uh, generally calm. Maybe you secretly have like all this rage built up inside of you, <laughs> and you're like a huge metalhead, and you're actually just like just the lead singer of a metal band. And, yeah. I mean, that would be that'd be a good surprise. <laughs> I don't have any of those skills. Okay. Well. <laughs> All right, last one uh, before we get to the five important questions is, do you have any questions for me? Since I'm asking you a lot of questions, I want to give everyone a chance to ask one for me. Okay. Um, Brian, if you, could, if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, I mean, it'd have to be pizza, I think. Yeah. Yeah, big, big pizza fan. Is it because there's a variety of pizzas? I mean, that definitely plays, plays a big role in it. But, mm. yeah, I mean, pizza, good. Hit, I mean, gets me my, my breads and my... My meats and my cheeses. Mm -hmm. I could have veggies on there. What if it could only be one specific pizza? Mm. Well, that's three questions so far. Sorry. I mean, it's it's probably still on the on the short list, but then I have to start evaluating some other options. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now for the five important questions. Five important questions. Five important, five important questions. questions. Five important questions. First important question is, what would you say is your greatest success in life? My greatest success in life um, is probably the the software products that I've I've worked with the team to create. So um, I think Essentials is a big one. So we took that from nothing to being a fairly substantial um, it, uh, product that touches a lot of people's lives. So you know REI and Lowe's and Red Bull and Sodomac are the big customers using it but the very first customer to ever use essentials was actually the nba and so they used to keep track of where the trophy was and all this other stuff and so um that's that's 
a really big important thing when I look back. And but at the same time, um, we develop new things all the time. So we're working on a, a new um, mobile app product at the moment, and I'm going to be really excited when that's done. The difference, of course, is I didn't have any hand in programming the mobile app. Like I was actually much more involved in Essentials kind of early on. So I feel like it's much more my my child than uh, than some of the other things. Yeah, I was going to ask how how does it compare when it's like I created this or I had a really big role in directly creating this versus, hey, I was able to help lead a team that was able to create this. Like, Yeah. Well, I, you know, I love to take credit for the whole thing, right? So, well, and I mean that in a, in a general way that um, when my team succeeds, you know, I'm part of that success. And when my team fails, I'm part of that failure, you know? So it's, uh, we all we make mistakes we have successes and i think we should celebrate it all together obviously i'm not i didn't write any of the code in the new mobile app function but um i i am excited for for the success of it and uh and i think that's fine okay that was a nicer way of putting it <laughs> you're gonna say uh, obviously i didn't write any of this but i'm happy to take credit for it <laughs> <laughs> no i don't mean it that way <laughs> all right uh what is your greatest fear my greatest fear. We've established it's no longer flying. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. I was going to just have a cop-out answer. Um, I don't know. I mean, I still have a fear of heights. Is that okay. good enough? I mean, I don't want to say, like, you know, the eternal dread of the universe and the heat death of the sun or something. But, um, I mean, those are all okay. Yeah. Some people are, are a little more basic with their answers. Some people <laughs> get real existential. It's all right. Yeah. No, I, I, I still have a problem. Man, if there's a glass railing on a third floor, I don't want to be anywhere near that. Good thing we have a, a one-floor office. Now. Yeah, I don't have that problem here. Okay, if you could tell first day at work, Evan, one piece of advice, what would you tell him? Sorry, at work at Point of Rental. Right. Um, yeah, I would say, um, you know, swing for the fences. Like, uh Big, big changes make people think big. And, um, you know, this is your opportunity. And I, and I think we did this to some extent is to really think about essentials as a new thing, solving a new problem for a new customer set. But we had a lot of opportunity um, that we eventually got around to when we really started thinking like big, like what about Lowe's, you know, a big company like that. And we could have, um, we could have really been thinking big earlier on, I think, more than just thinking about the one specific use case that we had in mind. So okay. that's a good answer. All right. Now, what is your most embarrassing moment as a pointer? Most embarrassing? You've been here 10 years. you got to have something. I don't know. That's one of those things you got to ask other people, I guess. But um, Ooh, I like, I like that for a future question. What's the most embarrassing thing you've seen the person before you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it's probably something to do with uh, getting a mute button wrong on a Zoom call or something. Mm, that's um, pretty low level of yeah, embarrassment. Yeah, nothing, nothing really comes to mind. I haven't, like, you know, uh, I've, I've had a couple of, like, trip and falls in front of people. <laughs> I, I try not to do embarrassing things. <laughs> um, you know, we've certainly had flops in the in the development space, you know, products that we developed that nobody, nobody wanted, but that, that does happen. Um, so those kinds of little things, but 
or big things as it were. Okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that one for the setup of the next one, which is uh, sorry you've been sentenced to death as uh, creating a product that people didn't want mm. is now a capital offense. Uh, okay, it's it's wow. weird not international law now. Uh, so what is your last meal and and why? Oh, my last meal. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I would I'd probably go eat something Cajun. I'd get a blackened redfish, some etouffee, dirty rice. Um, you know. It sounds I, I can hear the Houston in you. A little bit of Houston, a little bit of New Orleans. Yeah. Well, after Katrina, Houston is now the new New Orleans, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's now Cajun food on every corner. So, um, yeah, that's where I'd go. Okay. Any, I think it'd be great. Any dessert? Any dessert. I'll bread pudding. Okay. Whiskey, bourbon. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Mm. Um, I didn't realize we were going to get this deep in this interview. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing, I, I do always strive to improve. I think that everybody should try to improve. And there's some certain innate pieces of us as human beings that are hard to rewire. But, um, you know, the only way to, to grow is to improve. And so um, I've, I've always tried to do that. The, the biggest thing that I've been doing recently is um, on my in my own personal space is uh, working out a lot more, tracking diet and all of these kinds of things. I, I would love to uh, I would love to just take that to the next level. But man, it's, it's hard. So yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say one of the one of the things is like let's let's say it's a change like that and then, then you don't even have to necessarily go yeah. through it. Yeah, absolutely. If it was a change like that, then I just you know, just, just, you know, just, uh, look like Ryan Gosling tomorrow. Okay. Uh, what is your spirit spice? My spirit spice? Yes. Um, well, once again, growing up in Texas, it's hard for it not to be cumin, um, because it's in, you know, chili and Mexican food and, and all of those kinds of things. But I'm going to go for cinnamon okay, because it's kind of sweet and, uh, everybody likes it. Okay. <laughs> I think that describes you. Uh, I like that you, you've already, you even have a shirt that's similar in color to, to both of those. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a secret about point of rental. A secret about point of rental? Yeah. Um, when we say secret, it doesn't need to be something that I don't know. It has to be something that, you know, general, general public probably wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that I think is interest, most interesting about this, space is just how we're we're poised to grow like in everything that we do like we want to we want to help more people solve more problems and it goes down to everything that we do so it's it's a big focus on um on improving the way our products are are improving adding new products but the the secret is actually the uh even in the physical world like we own this this building here on uh, on eight acres, and it's it's amazing. You know, this is a great space. And what people don't know is that there's actually space on this in this lot for two more buildings to match this one. And so, just in everything that we do, kind of being ready to to help more people solve more problems. Um, and if that means that the company grows, we have space for them too. And uh, and I think it's just a way of thinking about about our market. So unlike a lot of kind of the traditional rental competitors that, uh, 
um, have been kind of, have been okay with where they are, you know, us actually realizing early on that this is a market that's changing and it's going to continue to change and being ready to, being ready to handle those changes and then being ready to help customers through the changes as well. So now what's something, whether relating to our software or not, that you could teach a three to five minute class about? It's funny. I actually do fairly regularly. Well, I guess I used to. I haven't done it recently. Host a class on Microsoft Excel. Okay. I know that seems silly, but um, just doing the little things, um, you know, the, the kind of on the edge of programming that isn't programming for the rest of the business. So being able to watch somebody in support pour through a bunch of data they got sent by a customer and being able to do that in 30 seconds versus 30 minutes, just with a little bit of Excel training. Um, I, I've just, you know, I've lived in Excel my whole life and uh, it's not the best programming language in the world. It doesn't accomplish the most of anything, but you can do a lot. You can get right on the edge there. So um, that's one kind of odd thing. All right, I might, I might ask you to produce something like that. Sure. Now, what, now it's something you'd be excited to teach a three to five minute class about. Excited? Um, I, I would I, I would be excited to do embedded electronics. So um, doing essentially embedded logic controllers and inter interaction with uh, with people. So I think that'd be fun. It's one of my hobbies that I love. So cool. All right. Well, thank you, Evan, for chatting today. And to anyone that made it to this point with us, uh, thank you for listening out there. Welcome to the Burner Yeah. Thank you.